Signum Crucis, Limitis Nostris, Regnus Deus Nostri, Demni Patsi Fili, Pitus Santi, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We saw in the last meditation how the throne of Jesus, our King, was the cross. He dies on the cross. That's the true King, even though nobody would have thought of him as a king there, seeing him nailed to a cross. Nobody would have thought, well, there's a, there, there's a king. They, they would have just thought, well, there's a criminal. They would have thought he was a failed criminal, in fact. But we know that uh, his kingship was shown by the fact that he rose from the dead. He had the power of a king insofar as he had the power to rise. If he had the power to rise, he had the power, greater power than any king on earth. That he was able to come back to life. That's power. That's power. No president, no king, no dictator, no emperor, no politician, no sage, no philosopher, no theologian, no saint even had that power. I mean, every Wikipedia entry to a bio will eventually state the birth and the death of somebody. And that's it. Everybody is born and everybody dies. Because nobody has the power to rise again on their own, on their own volition. But as we do our prayers this morning, we realize, Lord, that well, you did have that power. You could say, you know what, I'm dead now, but you know what, I'm going to rise. You overcame death not because you never died or because you appeared to die or because some, somebody substituted you and you never died but somebody else uh, died for you. You died. You died. And you rose. Not only that, you, you died and you descended to the dead and that's where your power as king over the living and the dead was clearly shown. The earliest representations of the resurrection don't show our Lord coming out of the tomb. They actually show him going down to the dead. And there's Moses and Abraham and Adam and Eve and they're all there. Oh, finally you're here. We've been waiting for you. It's dark down here. It's really dark. And all the just... Finally, somebody has the key to, to let us out of here. I heard that Mel Gibson is working on a sequel right now to The Passion. And it will represent the first few hours, I don't know how many hours, but at least the first few hours of Christ's resurrection. And he goes into little details around the story, like why did the Emmaus disciples, like why were they going to Emmaus and why did they not recognize him on the way? What, what is the backstory to that? Were they filled with guilt? Were, were they doing something like they shouldn't been doing, going off to Emmaus like that? Why did they just leave? What's going on? 
were they going for a good deal there? Somebody was offering them a good deal. Oh, who knows? You know? You know? So he's going to like give us the background or how he appears to Mary Magdalene, what was she doing there in the garden, uh, or to Mary, his mother, how she would have been at home, or some, or Longinus, you know, Longinus, who, who said, truly, this is the Son of God, but then maybe after he punctured the side of our Lord, he had to somehow give an account to, the, to his superiors, and maybe he got into trouble because he defended our Lord in some way, and other people said, oh, this guy is a follower of his. And, and so maybe during that time, our Lord would have gone to Longinus and, who knows, defended him and saved his job. And, right? Or Longinus came to follow him. Who knows? I mean, I don't know what Mel Gibson is planning, but, but all those moments will show the Lord's power. Indeed, he appears to his apostles after his resurrection as king. He says, All authority in heaven and earth has been granted to me. And he invites us to imitate him in serving others. Remember that moment when uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, when she was beginning to get an idea that Jesus was the Messiah and in some way he would be king, or that he would have power. She had an interest in seeing her children, both her sons, somehow implicated in that power. And uh, she said, you know, can maybe, maybe my sons can be like there, you know, they can have special positions with you. But you remember how Jesus calmly called them all together. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. It's the kind of power that they had experienced. They lorded over them. They said, I'm in power. You're going to do this. Whether you like it or not, you're going to do this. They lorded over them. Like, to lord, to lord, is to emphasize the fact that you have power. And the Lord says to them, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I suppose power, having power, can be enticing. It can be alluring to say, I say this, this is the way it's going to go, the decision is going to be made, and I have that power to decide what a whole swath of people is going to do or live, or how something is going to be built or done, because I said it was like that. And it must, to a certain degree, be intoxicating to feel that power, that this building is like this because I decided it. This painting is on this wall because I decided it. And everybody now has to look at this painting forever. Or well, maybe, maybe not forever, but pretty close. And uh, no, no, the Lord said, no, 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 you've got to serve. For him, real power is not seated, being seated at the throne or having some kind of decision-making power 
That was not the real kind of power he was looking for us to have. He wants a, a new kind of power from us, which we have to tap into and see if we're living it. It's a power that nobody else is aware of. It's a power only for those that are truly close to him, intimate with him. It's the power of service. Because your work here in the administration is not a work merely of perfectionism, of doing things according to a pre-established protocol, perfect, just right, just as it says in the instructions. That's not really what makes your work valuable. It's very important to reassess our attitude of service when we work. Reassess it. Is there truly a spirit of service? Or is it, no, I'm in charge, I do this, it's got to be like this, it's got to be like page three of the protocol instructions. Otherwise, everything's going to fall apart, we think. Think of these soldiers going into battle in a rescue mission. These great brave soldiers that are sent because they're hostages or they're prisoners of war somewhere, and they go and free these, these comrades, these prisoners that are in hostile territory. They come in their stealth on these Apache helicopters, and they, they rappel down these ropes, and they come in with their guns in front of them, with uh, you know, night sensor goggles, stealth, and secret, hand signals, Right? It's dark, dark passages, and they make it to the cell where the enemy is keeping their, their comrade. And now they have to get him out. And of course, the enemy clues in to what's going on and maybe fires back and tries to stop them, and they get hurt on the way. They, maybe they get shot. There's barbed wire, there's dogs. It takes shelter. And they'd probably do more than simply scuff their knees. But they're getting their man out. And maybe one, one soldier is wounded and they have to drag him as they go along. They cannot abort this mission. The purpose of the mission is to get that man out. What is our enemy? Our enemy is not some Al-Qaeda operative. Our, our enemy is really all the whirlwind of complaints that might rise up within us, in our head. What are the complaints that I hear? Maybe we can identify them. We can find some way, Lord, help me to, to identify them. It could be, I need more rest. I need more time. I have no time for myself. The enemy could be the lack of joy in serving. A lack of joy in serving. The lack of stealth operative commandos ready to give their lives to the, for the rescue of others. The rescue of others, well, are those that need a lunch today. That's the rescue we have to ensure. There are people who need lunch. There are people who need clean sheets clean underwear and socks 
And you might think, well, come on, they can do it themselves. No, well, they can't. They're completely, completely incapable. They're just incapable. You know? They're like in that cell. They're like tied to a wall with a prisoner uh, guard in front of them. You got, you got to get them out. You got to get them out. And that's what you do when you do your work, when you prepare meals, when you, when you clean the floor, when you do all those things. And sometimes you may think, well, nobody's even noticing. Well, that's like, it's like the prisoner who's unconscious and you drag him out and you take him out. He's unconscious and he's just like hanging there over your shoulder and he doesn't even know what's going on. He wakes up in a hotel uh, uh, two days later. What? Uh, I'm here. Oh, how did I get here? Uh, some operative got you out and uh, who got me out? I don't know. We don't even know. It's the operation dine out or whatever. <laughs> And uh, we have to, we have to serve. I mean, this is really our purpose in life, in many ways. This is how Christ will reign. This is how Christ will reign. Spreading Christ's kingdom is not spreading more of our power, but spreading as a normal thing our spirit of service among all those who see us, that they see, wow, she's, she, she loves to serve. She's happy. She's doing these maybe menial jobs or, or she's doing a difficult job that, that requires uh, the, you know, knowledge of uh, special diets and allergies and make sure this is peanut-free or lactose-free and, you know, something because somebody could die if there's peanuts in this. So she's got to be, be careful. And it's not enough just to put a peanut-free sticker on anything, right? <laughs> it's a stealth operation of service. And uh, those who are daring to get prisoners out, they get a medal of distinction. Right? Like, like the medal, the, the Presidential Medal of, Dis of Freedom, it's an award that is bestowed by the President of the United States to recognize people who have made especially meritorious contributions to the security or national interests of the U.S. or, or to peace in the world or you know, any number of things. So these are heroic individuals who have undergone usually military um, and they've, they've done incredible things. And it's the President who opposes them it's a very, very honorific moment. But it's the president. It has to be the president who imposes it. Nobody else. Can't be some can't be the vice president. But there's also I heard that there's also the Congressional Gold Medal. There's the Presidential Medal of Freedom, but there's also the Congressional Gold Medal, which is the highest civilian award bestowed by the U.S. Congress. So it's not directly bestowed by the President, but by the U.S. Congress. And it began apparently in the Civil War. And uh, there are fewer of those than the Presidential Medals. Like you really, to get the, to get the Congressional Gold Medal, you, you really have to have done something. I mean, it's, and U.S. citizenship is not required. So, you know. Apparently, among the last ones were 
three or four women who had been mathematicians in the space race, like Mary Jackson and Dorothy Yvonne and Christine Darden, among others. And they did that movie, The Hidden Figures, a few years ago, where they worked in the space race in NASA, and they did calculations, and they suffered the, the difficulties of, the, of racism at the time. But they were awarded, uh, awarded those, those medals because of a very beautiful spirit of service that they had. Like They didn't get all the recognition at the time. They weren't astronauts. They, but they made it sure that the astronauts came back or they didn't blow up in space. And a lot of it had to do with their mathematical calculations before computers or, or calculators. That's why we begin the prejudice like that. These prayers of the work, they're not public, they're on the, on the web. We always begin, Serbia, I'm here to serve. And that Serbia has an exclamation point. So we don't say Serbian. <laughs> Serbian. Serbian. Uh, you know, it's Serbian. It's like, yes. So today, when you do the prejudice, I don't know when we're going to say it, but uh, I, w I would like to hear Serbian. You know, well, you don't have to do it like that, but you know, you know what I mean. That is maybe an interior exclamation point that represents the truth, the zeal, the reality. What do you say in the morning when you say Serbium? Is it a half articulated, foggy, well, I guess I will serve today? What's the day today? You know, like my friend who's always traveling, I probably told you this, he's always traveling, he's always going on one place to another, giving conferences, uh, and he's always in a different place, and he says, the first thing he has to do when he wakes up in the morning is, where am I? <laughs> where am I? Because he's always in a different place, you know? He says, oh, okay, I'm in this city, I'm in New York, oh, I'm in Boston, I'm in here, I'm here. Okay, Serbia, now I can serve. He has to understand where he is, because he's always... so. Maybe we can do that. We can say, okay, I'm in Lincroft. I'm in Kinder. I'm in... And then we can say Serbian. You know? So we get some consciousness of where we are. How did you say it this morning? Serbian. Did you say Lincroft? Oh, okay, Lincroft. Serbian. Don Rose spoke about our father, about how he would rise. Like the fact that we say it like that is largely because a tradition from our father. As soon as he woke up, he lived that heroic minute, that is, he bounced out of bed, kissed the floor, and eagerly pronounced that aspiration, Serbia. Don Alvaro said, he would then offer his whole day to the Lord, tracing the sign of the cross on his forehead, his lips, and heart. He would say the following prayer, out of love, I offer you my thoughts, all my thoughts, all my words, all my deeds of this day. O oh Lord, together with my whole life. Then he would kiss the crucifix and the image of Our Lady, which he kept at his bedside. Like, like the way. That cry, I will serve, is your determination to serve the Church of God faithfully, even to the cost of fortune, of reputation, 
and life. So sometimes that act of serving has to cost us a fortune, reputation, and life. Like that little donkey. We know there are a bunch of little donkeys in the house and they have, they're endearing to us, mainly because donkeys are not very uh, hostile creatures. They, they, they're not they're fussy. They're just, they're just good at what they do. And uh, there's a certain uh, the beauty to them remember some years ago, a friend of mine who had started to talk about the work, and uh, I think I, I must have told him about the, the idea of the donkey, and he told me, well, I'm now going to, uh, to the Middle East, where I have to work for several, several months, and he, I think he worked in a, in a restaurant or something. Actually, he went to, I think he went to Dubai, Anyway, after several months, almost actually almost a year gone, he came back and he brought me a donkey. And it was a donkey that was made out of real donkey fur. And it was a very cute donkey. And, but it was loaded down with tons of stuff, like wood and, you know, it was only this, it was very small, like that, that big, but it was loaded down. And then it said, I think it said Dubai. And... It was a, I don't know where he found this. He must have found it in a gift shop of some kind. And um, he, he said he, he thought of the work when he saw that donkey. And that's what he wanted to become, a good donkey. Because he had spent uh, so many months working in, as I understand, it was a very high-end restaurant, uh, like six-star restaurant, and he had to work in the kitchen and the hotel, and I don't know what he had to do. But he discovered what it meant to serve. And there were very wealthy patrons there. And uh, he learned the task of being a good donkey. So how do I serve the work? How do I serve the church? How do I serve in the center? Do I offer atonement? Reparation? zeal for souls, for love for the church. I mean, when we think of service, yes, it's in the work that you do, no doubt, but it's also in your atonement. It's also in your listening to others. It's also in fraternal correction. All these things in which we have as a primary focus of serving or rather spreading Christ's kingdom through a spirit of service, spreading Christ's King through a spirit of service, this shapes our calling, this shapes our fidelity. If we didn't reinforce our desire to spread Christ's kingdom together through the spirit of service, it's hard to see our vocation. The light would really be strong, that light that was lit up. So, so the light would, you know, the, the spirit of service is like the fuel that we need to keep that light going. So, today, in our recollection, we can renew our decision, our firm desire. The same desire you had, presumably, this morning, that you serve your sisters in the work, 
your friends, the girls that come here, the residents. And uh, sometimes that service will be seen externally in the actions that you take. Others, it'll be just very, very internal. I'm sure I've told you before, I have great respect for garbage collectors. Even though they slow traffic and they work very early, people try to rush them along. Garbage collectors are looked down upon. But of course, as soon as the garbage is not picked up and they don't do their work and this service goes away, well, the rats come in, it starts to smell, everybody is affected. And the garbage collector said, well, I thought you didn't, uh, you were looking down on us. Hmm? Now you know. Now you know. Hmm. That's why our father used to say that he imagined the work to be like an intravenous injection into the bloodstream of society. Some people have too many white blood cells. They're anemic. They kind of feel half, half dazed, half drugged. And uh, uh, with ordinary people, well-formed and cheerful people who have the axis of work, the axis of their life, their work, and the foundation, their divine filiation, their sense of responsibility, those kind of people, they go into the bloodstream of society. That's what we do. That's how we serve. We are like the white blood cells that come into the, you know, the bloodstream. They have contact with the other blood cells. They boost the energy of those other cells as they come into contact with them, they energize them and they bring the joy of the gospel. That's what a, that's what a intravenous tra- uh, injection does. Intravenous injection boosts the energy, the capacity of the person who receives that, that injection. But it has to be the right blood type, it can't be the wrong blood type. We are the right blood tri- type for the society that we're in. Society now needs a spirit of joy, a spirit of affiliation, a spirit of well-formed, doctrinally well-formed, sound people who value work, who do it well out of love. That's, that's what society needs. That's the, that's the blood type that society needs now. That's become so politicized and so centralized, secularized, and so conscious of its own rights. We're here to serve. We're not here to become overly conscious of our rights. We, we've, we've given that up. We've given that up for the kingdom of Christ, to serve in his kingdom, to serve. That's it. And uh, our Blessed Mother will, will grant us uh, that efficaciousness to be a good intravenous injection. And if, well, the blood that we are providing is anemic or weak, well, we can ask our blessed Lord now in our prayer, in our time of prayer and contemplation, eh, to strengthen us so that we truly be effective. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.